Welcome to you wherever you are at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend. Well, we have been in a journey in Paul's uh, amazing letter to uh, his friends in Rome. Uh, over the last four weeks, we took a brief detour in Romans chapter 12 to go through a mini-series that we called My Good Habits. In fact, we identified four very doable, small keystone habits that if you do them, will we'll take you down a pathway of the great truths in Romans chapter 12, which is how we live out this incredible faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And uh, at the end of uh, the notes for this weekend's message, which, by the way, you will find on the version. If you haven't discovered that yet, uh, just do a search in your app store, version. Uh, download that free uh, Bible app, all kinds of translations, reading plans, videos, and a complete set of notes for this weekend's message. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, at the end of today's notes, you will find those four keystone habits from our mini-series, My Good Habits. But better yet, uh, if you missed the series, uh, how about you go in your podcast uh, application and search for Arlington FM Church, and there you will find uh, all of the messages on uh, our series, My Good Habits, as well as some notes there. And uh, But this morning uh, and next week, we're going to finish our Don Treader series through Paul's letter uh, to Rome. In fact, we're calling it the last chapters, uh, very appropriately so. It's where Paul kind of gives his uh, parting thoughts for people who want to live toward the new kingdom that Jesus has introduced. And um, you might uh, think of it as need-to-know information that will help you be fully equipped to live in the new day that Christ has initiated. Well, uh, this morning then we come to Romans chapter 13. And uh, it's a very difficult uh, passage to interpret. In fact, as I had a conversation with our uh, church staff this week about Romans 13, particularly verses 1 through 7, uh, one of the comments made was, I'm glad you're teaching it and not me. And uh, believe me, I considered uh, skipping it uh, because it, uh, it really has some difficult uh, points of application. In fact, uh, as a predecessor, as a precursor to going into these rather challenging verses, uh, I want to remind us of kind of the way we approach the Bible, uh, what uh, is called the Scriptures. In fact, the Apostle Paul himself would say in one of his letters uh, to Timothy, he says, all scripture is God-breathed. Uh, it's initiated uh, from the heart and the mind of God, and it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness uh, toward this end, so that uh, all those people who want to serve God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And uh, these are the Apostle Paul's comments on the teaching uh, and the inspired nature of the use of the Jewish scriptures. In fact, when Paul wrote this, uh, he wouldn't have included his letters, which uh, make up most of the New Testament. He was specifically referring uh, to the Old Testament. Uh, but uh, as time went on, uh, the early church uh, began to view uh, the letters that were written by the apostles as uh, equally sacred. And uh, the apostle Peter uh, make some interesting comments about some of Paul's writings. Uh, he says, uh, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote 
to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Now, uh, Peter says this about his uh, colleague Paul. He writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own undoing. And uh, so Peter, uh, equally called and anointed by God to teach what eventually became scripture, uh, says that, uh, admittedly, Paul writes some things that are hard to understand. Uh, you really have to work at it. And uh, this text, believe me, uh, Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, comes under that heading. See if you don't agree as we read through Paul's words. He says uh, in 13, verse 1, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God now, right away. That's a mind bender that every authority that exists in the world, Paul says, has been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And uh, you've got to admit, that's a head scratcher especially when we think throughout history of the, the, the heinous, the ungodly, the evil authorities that have been in existence. And uh, Paul here calls us uh, to submit to those authorities. Uh, he says, uh, he goes on, for rulers, hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Well, then do what is right, and you will be commended. Now, you got to be wondering, uh, what would it have been like for a, a person living uh, in Poland or in uh, Holland uh, when the, the Nazis were beginning to round up uh, Jewish people and uh, annihilate them and destroy them? How in the world could they look upon that government as being one instituted by God for their good and uh, that if they did good, they would be... Uh, Avoid the sword, uh, no doubt, among those six million Jews that were annihilated, many of them were good people. And uh, Paul goes on in this rather uh, difficult text. He says, look, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer, therefore, uh, he reaches now a conclusion, an application to how we live our lives. It is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Uh, this is also why we pay taxes, Paul goes on. Now he's really getting into the application. Uh, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. And we would say, uh, would that that were true always in an ideal world, possibly. And so uh, Paul concludes, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, well, then pay taxes. If you owe revenue, well, then pay revenue. If respect, then pay respect. If honor, then honor. Well, uh, as we wrestle with this passage, uh, here's a, a disclaimer right from the top. We will not address most of what this passage has to say. We simply, uh, time 
does not allow us uh, to really get into uh, the finer details of what Paul is communicating and why uh, he is saying it. Uh, and uh, here's a second disclaimer. We'll not decipher most of how this applies to our lives. Uh, third disclaimer. We probably won't answer many of the questions you have uh, that perhaps arise out of this text or questions you have about how a follower of Christ should interact with governments that don't honor God. Uh, but here's what we will do. We will stimulate some good questions, some good thinking. If you will lean into this passage with me, if you will uh, put your head around this text as being included uh, in that uh, statement that Paul made that all scripture is God breathed and it's profitable for teaching and correcting and uh, training in righteousness so that God's servant can be equipped for every good work. Uh, if you'll approach it as that, but also approach it in Peter's words, which are out of scripture, uh, that some of Paul's writings are hard to understand. And uh, so uh, here we go. Uh, here's some a few thoughts. Uh, one uh, man who devoted his life to studying the Apostle Paul asked this question. Why would Paul write this? Why would Paul write something that, uh, as you think it through and try to apply it, uh, really has so many difficult uh, things within it? And uh, here is one of his own responses that I think is valuable. He says, look, uh, I think if Paul heard that question, why would you write this? Uh, he might say something like, like this. Uh, listen, uh, here's what I'm doing. Number one, Augustus Caesar is going to become aware of this letter uh, being written uh, to this uh, growing following uh, of faith within the city of Rome. Uh, at some point, he's going to become aware of this letter. And I will want to make sure that the ruling authorities in Rome know that Christians are not anarchists. I think there's some value in that uh, perspective, that uh, in his letter, Paul would include this exhortation uh, to do what you can to be a good citizen, because we want the ruling authorities to know that uh, the call to follow Christ isn't a call to chaos and anarchy within our social systems. He goes on and saying, uh, we are basically, as Christ-honoring people, we are abiding, law-abiding citizens, and we believe that uh, Caesar, as imperfect as he is, has his position by the hand of God. That's the first thing uh, this theologian uh, would put in the mind of Paul. And as I said, I think there's merit to that. I think uh, God does want uh, the governing authorities and society to know that the choice to follow Christ it doesn't mean that we trash our obligations to society. In fact, this is one of the great messages in the Old Testament, that it's possible uh, to live within uh, ungodly systems of government, uh, kings that have no regard for God. It's possible to live within those systems as good citizens. Uh, now, uh, listen to... Uh, some of these thoughts about Paul's letter, uh, when you think about the entire letter uh, to his friends in Rome, uh, and, and think about the context in which uh, his readers are receiving it. First of all, the context. Uh, this is first century Rome. 
And uh, if anything was true of first century Rome, it was that Caesar is Lord. Uh, Caesar is the Lord of Lords. Uh, Rome uh, had this idea that uh, through Caesar's leadership, uh, peace had come to the world. They used words like salvation uh, had come from the chaos. There was a new sense of unity uh, out of previously warring plural societies that under Caesar Augustus, that uh, unity and peace, the peace of Rome, had been established. And uh, in Rome itself, the emperor was seen as divine, uh, as the revelation of the hidden god, gods. Um, Rome had power, the power to sweep aside opposition. Rome had the, the power to create this extraordinary, un, unseen-before world order. And uh, the accession of the emperor, which uh, was commemorated on his birthday, was hailed as good news. Uh, very similar words used to describe the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, the emperor, as we mentioned, was seen as Lord. The word was kairos, which was the exact same word that, that Paul used to describe Jesus. And uh, allegiance uh, to Caesar as Lord was really the one requirement of Roman citizens. Uh, they were allowed uh, many other freedoms of expression so long as they paid homage and honored Caesar as Lord. In fact, uh, when, when Caesar came in person uh, to pay a state visit to a colony or a providence, uh, the word of his royal presence was perusia, which is the exact same word that Christians use of the second coming of Christ. Well, uh, why is this important? Uh, because uh, this was the primary religious belief of the Roman Empire. And Paul's letter to Rome uses much of the same language to describe Jesus Christ. In fact, in the opening verses of this uh, incredible letter to Rome, Paul uses these words, uh, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, uh, Christ the Lord, uh, called to be an apostle and set apart for the good news of God, the good news that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God, in power by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Kairos, our Lord. And so right from the get-go, uh, the Apostle Paul is addressing a group of people that have been called to a new allegiance, uh, away from the cult of the pagan god, the emperor of Rome, uh, and into a relationship with the living God as expressed through his Son, and validated through the resurrection from the dead. And uh, right through the very end of his letter, uh, Paul carries this theme of our allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord. And, and so uh, hear that as the context uh, of Paul's teaching, that he's addressing uh, a people who are governed uh, by one who sees himself as a God uh, in person. And... Uh, Paul teaches uh, quite a different reality that the real God, the living God, the one God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, Paul's point uh, seems to be, uh, look, uh, 
you've been called to a different kingdom. As we've expressed in the words, a new day has dawned. You've been brought out of darkness into his light. You can now live as someone who is forgiven, who's being renewed, who's been restored, who is now a child of God. You've been liberated. God is now with you and for you. And all of creation is being redeemed and restored as you come into the glorious liberty of being a child of God. Paul is saying, look, all that being true, uh, then this also is true. Uh, you can uh, live as a good citizen within the government, the imperfect government that you find yourself. Uh, the two are not mutually exclusive. Uh, I can live in absolute obedience to Jesus Christ, introducing a kingdom that within several decades would topple Rome from the inside out and, and become a Christian empire. And uh, Paul is saying, uh, look, that kind of kingdom uh, cannot be thwarted, cannot be stopped. In fact, uh, you can live your life in such a way that you demonstrate uh, that we serve a kingdom uh, that has no end and that uh, we can be, we can function within imperfect government systems. Uh, you know, um, it, it, it's easy to think that uh, in order to live well, uh, we have to change everything about the governing bodies that we disagree with, and uh, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, uh, I want to, within the context of Paul's letter, uh, begin to talk about some of the takeaways, and uh, one of them is that uh, our allegiance to God uh, really uh, cannot be hindered uh, by whatever system we're a part of. Uh, ultimately, uh, think about what uh, Jesus said when he was asked, uh, should, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Now, if you look at uh, where this um, episode comes from, uh, we're told that the Pharisees were trying to lay a trap for Christ. There, in their view, uh, if you were going to honor God, you had to oppose every system that stood against the revelation of who he is. And uh, so they come uh, to Jesus in Matthew 22, and it says that they tried to set out this trap for him. They said, teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity, that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by people uh, because you pay no attention uh, to who they are. In other words, uh, uh, people who are strong and mighty don't seem to influence you. So tell us then, what is your opinion, Jesus? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar? And uh, in their view, uh, their thinking was, if you were going to honor God, you had to fight tooth and nail against every pagan, God-dishonoring form of government. And Jesus' response startled them. Uh, he said, knowing their evil intent, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin you use for paying your taxes. So they brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is this, and whose inscription? Of Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. Uh, and what's the obvious implication is Jesus seems to be saying, look, the two can coexist. 
the one uh, doesn't override the other. Uh, if you're going to honor God, you can honor God, and that uh, you can still uh, pay to Caesar what is due to Caesar's. Well, uh, I want to make uh, a few observations uh, from Paul's uh, seven verses that really have caused a lot of angst for people trying to live well within a very complicated world. Uh, here are some, and, and I would encourage you, uh, maybe draw some of your own questions out of this text, your own conclusions, uh, but here's one right off the bat. There will be times when we must go against what Paul has written. Uh, hear that again. Uh, even though this is scripture, it's God-breathed. It's useful for correction and training in righteousness to equip us for every good work. There will be times when we must go against what Paul has written here, just as Paul himself did. In fact, Paul ended up in prison many times because he disobeyed the governing authorities and he continued to proclaim the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and continued to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord of all, verified by his resurrection. I think of when Peter was threatened by the authorities and the powers that existed to stop proclaiming what he had come to believe about Jesus Christ. And here was Peter's response. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And so uh, Peter is saying, look, uh, there are times when we have to choose, are we going to obey the governing authorities or are we going to obey God? And, uh, you know, uh, throughout the Old Testament, uh, this is a lesson uh, that comes again and again and again, is, is how do we mesh? Uh, how do we live to honor God within dis God dishonoring systems? And uh, here are some uh, kind of some categories uh, that become evident through the Old Testament and the New. Number one, if your government instructs you to kill citizens, in this case, it was killing the babies that were born of the Hebrew women, and the midwives refused to do it out of fear for God. And number two, if your government instructs you to engage in false worship, and this was evident in many cases, but most clearly through the life of Daniel in the book of Daniel. Number three, if your government instructs you not to pray, uh, to not pray, to discontinue, to stop uh, praying to your God, uh, Daniel couldn't, uh, couldn't agree with that. He couldn't carry that out, and so he chose to go against the, the edict of the king. And number three, if your government instructs you, or number four, to stop sharing the gospel as we read in Acts chapter four. Now, of course, uh, there would be many other examples of when it is not okay uh, to cooperate with government directives. Uh, but these are categories that remind us uh, that there are times when we have to go against uh, Paul's words to submit uh, to the authorities that, ex that exist because they've been established by God for your good. Uh, but you know, the greatest example uh, of how to do this well, how to do this while honoring God, uh, but also uh, reverencing uh, God's hand in the established structures um, is the life of Daniel. Uh, listen to some of the way that uh, 
he navigated this very complicated uh, reality. We're told in Daniel uh, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, uh, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine which the king had commanded them to eat. And he asked the chief official for permission. Uh, here in those words, Daniel's disposition. Uh, he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. And now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. And this theme uh, of Daniel's reverence, of his respect, uh, in spite of his disregard uh, for the king's edicts, uh, really becomes uh, one of the prominent lessons in Daniel's life. Uh, we're told in chapter 2 that uh, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him, quote, with wisdom and tact. And uh, so uh, Daniel, again, becomes a shining example of how we can uh, stand against ungodly directives, but be good, Christ-honoring, God-honoring citizens at the same time. Uh, you could put it like this. We can address crummy systems and authorities without becoming crummy people. We can address uh, ungodly systems and authorities uh, when the lines are crossed and our faith doesn't allow us to step over it. We can do that without becoming crummy people along the way. Here's how uh, Peter, the colleague of Paul, would uh, declare that truth. He says uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Be subject for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Now think about that. Be subject uh, for the Lord's sake out of your witness and love for him to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Uh, very similar sentiment to what Paul had expressed. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for crummy behavior, for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And I would say, uh, you know, that those words have to be read with as far as it's possible, as much as you can. Without dishonoring God, honor the emperor. And that's a, such a foreign thought for us. Uh, and uh, here's, here's another takeaway uh, from these words of Paul in the context of his letter and his friends in Rome. Uh, politics cannot stymie the advance of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, ungodly systems, uh, imperfect systems cannot stymie the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you, if you want to verify uh, this truth, read through Paul's letter to his friends in Philippi. It's filled with, uh, with uh, celebrations uh, of the good news of Jesus Christ to advance in every, uh, against every opposition, in every circumstance, against any kind of corrupt government. Uh, the good news prevails and is advanced. In fact, uh, Paul ends that letter uh, by sending greetings uh, from the Roman guards who had kept him in prison 
who had come to Christ uh, through that very imperfect setting. Uh, uh, here's another uh, a truth that emerges is tethering the kingdom of heaven to any human institution is a downgrade of immense proportions. Uh, what do we mean by that? Uh, when we think that the advance of the good news of Jesus Christ and the advance of God's kingdom through people who believe in his name, when we tether that to any imperfect human government or system, we have downgraded in an incredible way the power of the gospel because the gospel is unhindered, unhindered. It's untethered. It can't be stymied by any human institution. Read Psalm 110. It's a celebration of this aspect of the King of kings and the Lord of lords at work in and through his people. Uh, here's another uh, lesson that comes from Paul's words to his friends in Rome. Uh, if we have not learned the blessing of submitting to authority out of reverence for God, we are doing great harm to ourselves and others. Uh, hear that again. If we've not learned the blessing of, of complying and learning to find uh, how to be uh, respectful and honorable and contributors of good, uh, if we've not learned that blessing of submitting to authority out of reverence for God, we're doing great harm to ourselves and others. I, I know this is a, this is a hard message for many of us to hear. It's a hard, it was a hard message for me to learn uh, growing up in a home uh, with an abusive uh, stepfather figure uh, who misused authority on every possible level. Uh, my view of uh, imperfect authority was get away from it as far as you can. Uh, find ways to shut it out of your life. But the, the, the truth that Paul is communicating is uh, living with authority Learning to live under even imperfect authority is part of God's plan. It's part of God's will. It's part of what God has established in this world. Uh, I had a funny interaction with a good friend of mine text messaging uh, this week, and uh, you'll see uh, some of the content of our messages here. Uh, I had asked him uh, how his retirement was going, and uh, was he enjoying uh, the early uh, years of his uh, that golden season of life? And he said uh, in his response, uh, yeah, I'm loving it. Get up when I want, do what I want, uh, basically call my own shots. He says, unless, of course, the wife has something else in mind, and then, then I have to submit to that. And, uh, you know, my response to him was, yeah, I guess it's true. As long as we're in this world, we're going to have to answer to someone. And uh, what Paul is saying is, look, uh, though our allegiance is to Jesus Christ, uh, we can find uh, that sweet spot of uh, learning when to, when to be uh, honorable, respectful, and uh, how to draw those lines of obedience to God and honoring the systems uh, of man. Uh, so uh, maybe just this uh, short version of that same truth. There is no virtue in being rebellious by nature. Uh, there's no virtue in uh, choosing to act out uh, on a, the basis of our preferences and the things that annoy us. Uh, in fact, that disposition is contrary uh, to what Paul is inviting dawn treaders, uh, people who are living into a new kingdom, to experience. And uh, 
So I would say this as we begin to wrap up this observation of this very challenging text. Uh, whatever system you find yourself in, do everything in your power to make it better. Hear, hear that again. I, I believe that's uh, really at the heart of Paul's uh, exhortation. Whatever system you find yourself in, do everything in your power to make that better and be the best human you can be along the way. See, those two, uh, they can work hand in hand. Uh, we, we don't have to become crummy people if we're in crummy systems. Uh, we can honor God. We can honor uh, the systems that we're a part of, and we can bring about change uh, diligently and through our actions. You know, I thought of a great uh, example of this. Uh, when our pandemic uh, first began, now two years ago, uh, someone gave me a book uh, called Tortured for Christ, uh, and it was about uh, an Eastern Bloc country when uh, communism uh, was beginning to uh, spread its reach, and uh, they, the Communist Party was on a quest to stamp out faith uh, and to uh, empty the churches. Uh, they felt like uh, belief in a in an invisible God was uh, worked against the betterment of society. And uh, in that context, uh, people who continue to live out their faith in Christ were often tortured and arrested. And uh, this one uh, story of a man who uh, he, he chose to continue to uh, live out his faith, to meet with other Christians, to talk about Christ, to read his Bible, to pray. And, uh, he was arrested for his faith. And uh, he was beaten, he was tortured, and on one particular occasion, uh, the guard went by and saw him in his cell on his knees praying uh, to God. And uh, so he was removed from his cell, he was tortured, he was beaten, he was drugged back into his cell, thrown on the floor. Moments later, the guard walked by and he was back on his knees praying to God. The guard was astounded. He, he exclaimed, uh, what can you possibly have left to pray about? Uh, we've taken your family, we've taken your health, we've taken your wealth. Uh, what is there left to pray to your God about? And uh, as he looked at his captor uh, with swollen face and bleeding, he said, I was praying for you. And see, as you read the testimony of this man, though he was in an incredibly ungodly system, he had a compassion and a love for the very people that were oppressing him. And I believe uh, through that, uh, he was displaying the heart of his Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Uh, well, as we end this message, uh, think about Paul's words before Romans 13. He said, look, so far as it's possible with you, be at peace with everyone. And then he gives uh, Romans 13, 1 through 7. And then in verse 8, he ends with these words. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves has fulfilled the law. And do this, understanding the present time we are in. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Uh, stop living as though this world is all there is because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And then this uh, verse that has formed uh, really the, the heading of our series in Paul's letter uh, to his friends in Rome, uh, 
Romans 13, verse 12, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Uh, so then, knowing this, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And uh, before we pray, uh, here's just a final takeaway uh, from this passage. Uh, it's something that lives and works for me. Uh, when I'm annoyed by politics or whatever system I'm bumping up against, uh, I remind myself that I belong to a kingdom that is absolutely for this world. Uh, hear that, regardless of how broken, uh, uh, of how decaying, of how God dishonoring, we belong to a kingdom that is absolutely for this world and the people that are in this world. And yet, it's profoundly not of this world, this kingdom. Uh, Jesus made that statement, my kingdom is not of this world. And he offers us uh, that same priority and that same invitation to live uh, as people, as conquerors who are more than conquerors in this world. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we want to thank you for the, the scriptures, for the truth about yourself that you've breathed into the hearts of men like the Apostle Paul and Peter and all the writers that come to us in this amazing book that uh, we call the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And we want to thank you, Jesus, uh, for what you made clear, that apart from you, uh, these scriptures mean nothing, that they all point to you. They're understood as we come into relationship with you and as you pour your spirit into our minds and hearts, uh, they come alive. And, and we would ask you to do that with this text, Lord, which so many have wrestled uh, how do we apply this in a world that's filled with contradictions? And we want to thank you, Lord, that you could use this text to bring out your life in us, uh, to bring out the best in us, uh, to help us live uh, in ways that are victorious and yet fully engaged with the people that you gave your life for. And maybe you're hearing this message and uh, you're aware that you've never made that transition from living for yourself to living for him who is the true Lord of Lords, the true bringer of good news. And uh, you're wondering why you've never taken that step. You know, that uh, can be called faith. It's that desire in your heart. And, and Jesus said, the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. And uh, I want to just uh, invite you, uh, take that step. Say, Lord Jesus, I've heard enough. I want to open up to you. I want to receive what you came to bring. I want to live into a new kingdom. And uh, I would invite you to pray this in your heart or even say these words out loud. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came. Uh, thank you that you revealed God. Uh, thank you that you're revealing God to me right now. And I want to open up to that. Uh, thank you for what I've heard, Lord, that you came, that you died, that you were raised from the dead. Uh, forgive me. Remove from me those things that distance me from God and uh, open me up to your truth uh, from this day forward. Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live for you. And I'm going to uh, wrestle with the, the things in life that seem to contradict uh, your kingdom. Uh, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done in me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.